going into senior year in college at Yale. I study computer science and education, and I'm like really, I'm interested in education tech and especially like the kind of stuff Khan Academy Long Term Research does, not just like worksheets online, but how can like how can tech actually like meaningfully change the learning experience, that sort of thing. Right. Um, I've, I visited Khan Academy last fall. Um, it was really cool. And I also had a friend who interned there, Vina Advani. Oh, super there cool. Last summer. I don't know if you met her. I don't think I got the chance to really know her too well. What was she, what was she doing in Khan Academy? She was data science, okay. I believe. She was talking about a lot of like A-B testing on like, <laughs> if you change the login screen, like how many more people click through this way and that sort of thing. I don't know what the specific name of the team was. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, maybe our growth group or... or uh, yeah, maybe just data science in general. Um, yeah, I mean, I got a chance to check out what you've been up to. It's super exciting. I, I, I'd love to talk about Khan Academy. I'm also just so curious to talk about your uh, experience. You're an undergrad. You're graduating uh, not this spring, but next year, right? Yes. Cool. Like, I, I'm just so curious because I, I went to school and graduated in 2008. So, like... Uh, especially in the Northeast, like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the internet and startup businesses, it's just like, it wasn't, it was it really like literally was not on our radar. Uh, we did have, we did have like an engineering and business group. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of, it was, it was really exciting. It was the, it was the confluence of in engineering and management and a very small number of people took that. Like, I'm just curious, what's the, what is the landscape right now as an undergraduate has like, has uh, Yale come around to like really, um, formalized programs for this kind of like stuff or are students still just sort of is it is more student driven where like there's affinity groups or people are, are doing it in more sort of impromptu ways by stuff do you mean tech or startups or all of it all, yeah tech startup stuff like literally all of it like uh, whether it's right whether it's industry um, whether it's actually just technology entrepreneurial stuff like that that whole that whole goopy mix of stuff that it seems to have been changing a lot just in the last couple of years. I know especially at Yale, there was a Business Insider article like maybe three years ago, right before I um, started as a student saying like, oh, if you want Silicon Valley engineers, like don't go to Yale, like nobody Mm. ever hires from here. And since then, I think they've been putting a lot more into the computer science department and kind of doing more grants. We have an entrepreneurial institute, the Yale Entrepreneurial Institute, and they give grants for student startups. Gotcha. And then one other thing is we have a new organization um, funded by Andrew Tsai, who I think is involved with, has a lot of money in Alibaba, maybe. Oh, okay. Very rich guy, and he donated (laughs) a bunch of money, and so now we have a Tsai Center for Innovative Thinking. And so they're building a building right now, but currently they're just like, operating out of an existing space on campus and giving large sums of money to student startups. So I think overall, like definitely the university is really trying to encourage it. And then, and then like you started Code Haven. Can you tell me more about what that is? And then like, did you start that in the context of one of these programs or was it something that you just sort of put together? Yeah. So Code Haven is basically a group of undergrad Yale students who go into the community Uh, Yale is located in New Haven, Connecticut, and we go to the local middle schools and we teach students how to code. So like intro classes once a week for an hour each time. And so that started 
two falls ago, and it was just um, a teacher in one of the schools who was like, I want my kids to learn how to code, and he connected with a Yale alum, mm-hmm. who connected with a professor that I had who told me about it, and so I kind of just like brought a couple of friends into this classroom, and then we started getting some press about it, and then at the time, Google was also having a program called Ignite CS, where they were giving pretty large sums of, not large, but I don't know what scale of large is, like $10,000 grants for yeah. college organizations That's for large. bringing coding, coding opportunities to their community. So we applied for that, got $6,000, and we don't really spend that much money in, and, um, in general, so that's lasted us for the last couple of years. And then we used um, about 3000 of that to buy Android phones, which we then this semester, this year, we've been teaching them using MIT App Inventor, which is kind of like Scratch, but you use it to build apps on Android phones. Hmm. And so that's been our whole year-long curriculum, and we ended with a final project fair where the kids showed off their apps, and we had balloons and photo booths and that sort of fun, festive stuff. How, how old are these kids? Uh, middle school, so seven, sixth through eighth grade, around 11 to 13. Super cool. Yeah. And um, like... Uh, have you developed like a, an itch for teaching out of this? Like, what, what's been your experience as as an as a teacher and educator? Like, what's that what's that been like? I think actually, what I have realized is so. My main takeaway from being in these schools for just an hour each time is that it seems so very exhausting to mm. be a teacher for eight hours a day, five days a week, and kind of just have to like. I see the teachers like deal with the discipline issues that we we come in as like outsiders and the teacher mostly has to deal with those issues and still even for that like hour it seems very difficult so right I've told teachers this and they're like no that's not what you should be taking away from the classroom <laughs> like it's much more doable than it may feel but I think my sense is that I am better at like more small group teaching than like kind of working one-on-one with the student and interacting and trying to figure out like where they're not understanding something, I'm much better at that than I am at lecture style. But also, just in general, reading about the climate of teaching in public school teaching in America makes me not want to do it. So those are my honest thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I appreciate your honesty. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the good news, at least on the lecture front is... Um, I think like pedagogy and education agrees with you, right? That like uh, learning in small groups is seems seems to be preferable than sort of sage on a stage style um, teacher getting in front of thirty students um, and lecturing. Um, but yeah, it's it's been super interesting to I I, I shared the same experience when I first because I'm reasonably new in education before Khan Academy. I wasn't really um, familiar just it, one of the first you just sort of get blown away by the 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 discipline of classroom management right and classroom management for for people who don't know is like sort of this family of procedures practices and techniques to make the classroom manageable um and it's like amazing to see teachers do it and it's also like somewhat bewildering to see how uh like how disproportionately important that is in terms of like uh having a successful period I think it's actually like if you think about like how long people will prepare for one hour or talk to an audience or something like that and then you think about the fact that teachers do this for eight hours a day every day and it, like in order to be engaging it all has to be prepared and thought out right and that amount of 
is just astounding. So, so. Yeah. I, I'm shocked at how many students teachers have. Like, I went to a private high school, and so we were just visiting um, an AP history teacher. And I was, I was struck by two things. One was the number of students he had. So he taught, I think, 180 students total across six periods. Um, and then the other was that his history class is open enrollment. So AP has changed a lot since I took AP when I took AP, and again, this is a private high school, but like it was, it was sort of tracked, right? So um, you needed to have a certain GPA or, or some sort of prerequisite for taking the AP class at all. Um, whereas open enrollment and something like 80% of uh, history classes, AP history classes are open enrollment, means that like anyone can take it. And so that AP history teacher is having the same challenges that a lot of teachers have, which is like students being all over the map in terms of, let's say, reading level. Uh, and so not only do you have 180 students, but you have them anywhere, let's say, but from a sixth grade to a 12th grade reading level. Uh, so it's like, just imagining like, okay, now I have 180 papers to grade. Um, you know, I asked, I asked the teacher, like, how long does it take you to grade that? And it's like, you know, something like 30 days. Um, and so you, wow. you just start to think about like that feedback loop. Um, and it's, it's definitely a bummer. Which high school was it? This is, uh, um, um, Milliken uh, in in Long Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you from the Bay Area originally? I'm from New York originally, uh, but I've been in San Francisco for about um, almost ten years. But I, I guess off and on, I've I've come back and forth. Where Where are you from? I'm from Bay Area originally. Oh, okay, so cool. I, like moved from South Bay to East Bay. And and have you have you found your forever home on the East Coast? Or are you just like can't wait to get oh, back? That's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Well, how, so so about Khan Academy. How did you? What what drew you to long term research group? Like, how did you hear about it? Um, that's an interesting. So I actually I learned to code via Khan Academy. Like, kind of took a couple of the intro programming lessons the summer before college, but didn't think about being a computer science major at all until I took an intro course freshman fall. And then I was like, wow, I could intern for Khan Academy. Mm -hmm. Look at all of these like cool things college students have done. Cause the neat thing is like a lot of the early interns, I think wrote up really detailed descriptions of their projects. Right. It's been very cool actually going through my like more and more computer science classes, I understand more about those blog posts now. <laughs> so I've kind of been like tracking my progress by right. how much I'm like, oh, now I could build something like that sort of thing. But so I guess I've spent a lot of time on the intern page and kind of looking at the footer and how did I originally... So I was interested in education and education research before I even knew about computer science and that sort of thing. And so when I realized that there was this intersection where people were studying both, I think that's how I found out about long-term research and kind of read through all the posts and things like that. And then I also started following Andy on Twitter. So then they started showing up more regularly. Gotcha. The things I read. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny how Twitter is still like, Twitter is still that and and you know you follow one person and then that person opens you up to a network of people and like a lot of a lot of interesting opportunities I hear about or or like interesting groups I hear about I'm always I'm I, the reason I ask you is because I'm always like looking for m ways to find it so like I'm just waiting for one day the person to be like yeah there oh you don't know about this website it's called like you know interestinggroups.com and I just <laughs> go there uh, but yeah mostly it's it's Twitter and it's sort of the the um the street talking 
Um, yeah. Tech Twitter is actually like really crazy. I got a Twitter account because I was applying for a Twitter internship at the time and like didn't use it for a couple years. And when I got really into it, I was like, this is insane. Like Andy, who I guess you work with, like yeah. posted about he wanted to start an instructional reading group right. about um, a reading group for the Harvard instructional design course. And then I just get to talk with a bunch of people interested in instructional design once a week because of Twitter. So oh, that's amazing. That so you're, you're, are you, you're taking that? Yeah, um, I think we haven't met for the past two weeks because Andy's Andy, on vacation. I, I just had yeah. I just had lunch. He's back, so I'm sure I'm sure he'll pick up again. Uh, I might I might drop in on one of those because I, I really want, I haven't read Understanding by Design yet, and it's it seems to be um, a text that a lot of people refer to. So uh, yeah. it's it's important for me. I only me to got read through it. a little bit because it was corresponding with finals, but the part I got through was very interesting. So you're really you're really in it, and then you, and you're you're interning at Chen Zuckerberg this summer. Is that right? Yes. Do you know I'll start what, next Monday. Right? Oh my gosh. Do you know what you'll be doing for them? I just got the email yesterday, actually. I am on, let me find the exact name. The summit, So the Summit Learning Platform team within the education. Okay. Yeah. God, like, I, I mean, it's, you seem to have a lot of clarity of intention that is uh, admirable and also like so alien to me because like I, I wake up and I'm like I don't know what I should be doing with my life like uh, <laughs> uh, and and I've sort of stumbled into um, where I'm at and you seem you seem quite um, quite focused is that is that a fair uh, is that a fair perspective or or is that outside looking in I think it's a little bit of both I feel like as a Part of it is, like, the original interest in education. I've just, like, liked the idea of thinking about how people learn and teach and have, like, in high school, I, like, ran tutoring groups and that sort of thing and was a student teacher. But I think also as a student in computer science right now where there's so much of a... I don't know if it was like this when you were trying to get into college, but for me, like, in the Bay Area going into college, there was, like, this cult mindset of like Ivy League, Stanford, MIT, mm. like you got to do the tests and the extracurriculars and all of this builds up to this one thing mm-hmm. and everyone is competing for the same thing. I feel like com- like computer science majors in college, it's a little bit like that. Like there's like guides written about tech internships and how you have to master this interview and like do side projects right. and all of it is like goal, Google, Facebook, Microsoft. And I feel like part of part of me pushing so strongly about wanting to work in education is like wanting to escape that and have a purpose beyond just I want what everybody else wants which Mm. is what I feel like made high school so like stressful and unfulfilling (sighs) so that's part of why I pursue the education aspect of it so strongly I think because it keeps me from having the existential crises that all my friends have of like (sighs) why am I in tech like social good like if I'd like do all this education just to adjust a button using CSS for all of my days kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or not even just the, you know, there, there's, that's one of the lenses on existential crisis, which you're just describing, which is, let's say you're a designer, uh, and, and you were, you were working at a larger organization and you end up designing, um, UI in, in a way that doesn't necessarily feel, um, super impactful you might feel like a bit of a cog in a machine mm-hmm. and then there there's the other existential crisis which is almost the opposite of that which is like oh, oh my gosh i've been um instrumental in building 
social technologies that uh, I now worry have contributed to um, uh, mass destruction. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so there's like there's there's both ends that I think a lot of people are struggling with right now. Um, I think one interesting thing is now that I get more into like have been reading more about like education tech and that sort of thing is that you actually can it's not all perfect and good for the students right um, i was there was i got to hear former educa- secretary of education john king talk hmm. this semester and he had some like pretty negative things to say about education tech and how a lot of it he thought was just like worksheets with sound and then not for the purpose of the students but like the salesperson would take the superintendent out right. to dinner and pitch them oh, and yeah. that sort of thing and so it wasn't it also wasn't for the good yeah. of the students yeah yeah i mean that's what i find education like uh my my background was was in uh sort of startups but i, I mean the startups that i helped create in the past were, were always around like creativity or productivity so so helping people become maybe better versions of themselves. So like moving to education wasn't completely alien um, and education itself has come to value things like collaboration and creativity in ways that I guess I hadn't appreciated before. It's also a little bit more of a new movement, but um, it was still a new enough transition. And I think what's made me feel like, oh, I can spend the rest of my life in this field is not necessarily the social good, although that is a component for sure. But it's also, it's just so complex. Like, uh, it touches on everything, like, you know, what you're just describing now. I mean, it, there's uh, politics is so, you know, deeply intertwined in education, um, science, mm-hmm. right? A lot of education sometimes feels like cancer research. It's like learning as unsolved problem <laughs> uh, is really interesting. There's institutional sort of um, inertia, decay um, is another angle on it. There's just humans. There's socioeconomic challenges. So it's just like, it's just the it's one of those fields that is uh, incredibly complex. And so uh, like, it, it's just, you're like, oh yeah, this is lifetime sized. In fact, this is like multiple lifetime sized. Uh, so for me, that's, that's quite exciting. Um, yeah. I think the interesting part, I read a quote somewhere last year that also kind of changed my thinking is that like education is the one thing where everyone's like, oh, I learned and therefore I understand and know how to, how education works and should work and that sort of thing, but that's like completely untrue. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's well, actually something I'm curious about. Like you went to UPenn in a private school. How do you translate your, what you remember of your like K through 12 education to kind of trying to reach everyone at Khan Academy? Hmm. Um, if that makes sense. It's a question. No, it, it does make sense. The question I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Um, let me riff because I haven't I haven't like I don't have a well thought out answer for you but I just think about moments you know like like what were some key moments that I had and so uh, I I did this exercise at some point I don't know if this is if this is like something that many people have done I'm curious if you've done it but like uh, I I actually focused on mm, elementary school for this exercise like K through six and I just, I just asked myself, what can I remember? And I wrote down every single thing I could remember uh, for like maybe an hour. And then I, and then I looked at it. Um, and then I was like, well, well what, what, what is this telling me? Um, with, I guess, the underlying thesis being like, if you still remember it, it must be valuable in some way. Uh, 
And, you know, for instance, one of the things that I, I think about now, like what characterized the things that I can remember, there's so much that's tactile and physical and you could call it now project-based learning. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't, like I wouldn't have, I, I wasn't articulating that to myself when I was remembering things. So for instance, uh, in second grade, we planted bean sprouts and everyone's bean sprouts were along the uh, edge of the window and you could decorate yours to kind of make sure that it was obvious that was yours. You were watering it. You're sort of responsible for growing. There's that spirit of compet- competition, right? Because you want yours to be bigger than everyone else's. You feel bad if yours is like failing. Um, and I don't, I don't remember what it was tied to. It was probably roughly tied to something like photosynthesis. I, I, don't, I don't remember. Um, you know, I remember like a... a that sort of thing. Right. Uh, like a Halloween day where we weighed pumpkins for some reason. And I don't remember why we weighed pumpkins, but we did. I remember like mail correspondence. So we had like a little mini mail room in the kindergarten. We could write letters to each other and, and someone like it would be your job once every so many cycles to be the mail person and you would deliver the mail um, uh, uh, and so on and so on. And like, you know, when I look back at the now, it's, it, it's, it's fairly easy to characterize those um, those moments as like very, uh, on the one hand, they're sort of traditional, but on the other hand, they're, they're not, um, I mean, they're projects, they're projects that have a huge amount of agency associated with them. Um, and they have major physical components associated with them. Mm-hmm. Um, in con- high school is a totally different thing. And, you know, I think one of the things that I'm always fascinated by is like what's happening in students' brains around the same time that they're learning and, Con Lab School downstairs, I think, is is probably one of the leaders in thinking about this. So, you know, at what age does it make sense for your brain to start thinking about planning? Like, you know, when when do student brains um, need to start thinking about planning? Like, when are they equipped to? When is the right moment for this? And then how do you incorporate, like, uh, the notion of planning into the curriculum then? So, you know, at what point is it maybe the student's responsibility to book time with the teacher, right? Um, uh, um, but yeah, in, in, in high school, I, I, I was just blown away by my history teachers. I had just the best history teachers, um, art history, European history, U.S. history. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't, it just, it's just certain moments. Like there was just a spark, which was very one-on-one sort of master pupil, direct transmission of information. And, and I, I find that to be something that I, I'm still, I'm still looking at like, how might how might we create more of those moments? Oh, that's interesting. Like the one-on-one aspect of it in massive online education? Or... Oh my gosh. I've somehow triggered... Did you hear that that was like Alexa or something? Yeah, that's I thought it was Siri. <laughs> it might be Siri. That's my roommates. I think, I think they're done. But uh, Sorry, you were saying one-on-one in massive online? I was, you were saying like how, how you can... You were thinking about how to recreate that, and I guess I was clarifying. Did you mean like in the context of what Khan Academy can do, or well, anywhere? <laughs> yeah, I mean anywhere in the world. But but these are the Khan Academy. Yeah, you know, like tying it into some of the work we're doing now. Uh, I mean, one of the things our group is really um, interested in and actively thinking about um, are you know just taking advantage of the network effects that the platform enjoys, right? Like when you have um, tens of millions of people learning. Um, at the same place, um, how can you bring them together in timely, interesting ways? What are the sparks that we might be able to create 
um, around that. Some of it is not. Some of it is not like technologically interesting, right? So like, uh, simply a Q and A Q&A platform, I think, in education is really really interesting to me. I, I'm sure there are a bunch, and maybe you know a couple that are doing a really great job. But I think Q and A is so fascinating because it's like it's like maybe the only way to create authentic conversation, right? Insofar as like I'm a student, I have a question. Uh, another student thinks they can answer it. And then the student who had the authentic question is responsible for evaluating the answerer based on like their own transformation of knowledge. Um, like that, that's pretty great. <laughs> um, uh, another thing that I'm interested in is um, sparks that Khan Academy might be able to create. Um, let's say five people are working on the same problem at the same time. Uh, like how can, how can Khan Academy be like, Psst, did you know that like at this moment, there's four other people and sort of spin up an ad hoc conversation around that. Um, another thing I'm interested in is controversy. So what happens when there's significant disagreement around a problem, whether that problem is open-ended or actually has a right, wrong answer, like how might you capture controversy that might've been invisible and turn that into a teachable moment where maybe we're going to go head to head, or maybe we're going to debate about it. Like, um, but all these things feeling very organic and just in time, as opposed to, uh, you know, going to debates.conacademy.org, um, which which could also be cool to be clear, but like uh, I, I'm more interested in sort of the lightweight touches to to sort of transform moments into something that's more um, kind of indelible in in the learner's mind. Oh, that's fascinating. Are you guys working on like implementing any of those things right now? <laughs> um, of everything I said, I would say no. I, I, what is top of mind for us, though, as both an organization and as a small working group, is is network effects. Um, uh, one of the things that our group is actively working on is thinking about um, how Khan Academy might serve learners in um, open-ended response questions. Oh, uh, yeah. I've been reading those posts. Uh, cool. And so, and so that that's really been the focus of our work for the last several months. And, and that, that does tie in a lot of network effects and peer feedback, right? Because when you talk to, when you talk to teachers and educators, like sometimes as technologists, we can get in our own heads and like, oh, what makes Khan Academy special? But when you talk to people, uh, there's, there's, a, there's one or two pretty simple answers. And one of them is just instant feedback. You know, mm-hmm. teachers love it that students can guess something and then they can get instant feedback. Um, and then they themselves can take agency over their next steps as opposed to that teacher loop that I was describing earlier, you know, in a more drastic case is a teacher might take a month to grade an essay, but they might, you know, they might take two days to grade homework. Um, and so, so closing those loops is really exciting, but then how might we close those feedback loops when, um, responses aren't multiple choice in well-formed math, but are in fact, you know, tell me what you think the most significant causes of world war one are. Um, and so through that lens, uh, in order to get like high quality feedback on those kinds of things, you sort of inevitably find yourself talking about having students have real conversations with each other that are in some ways scaffolded such that they can develop those reasoning skills. I'm interested when you're saying that you talk to teachers, how wide a range of teachers do you guys survey? Um, pretty wide. Uh, we, we're, we've grown a lot in, in that muscle. So if you, if you rewind two years ago, when I joined Khan Academy, one of the reasons that I joined Khan Academy was that Khan Academy at that time was like, we don't have, we don't know how we're going to serve classroom learners, but we know we want to. Um, so we were, we were really that early in terms of like classroom thinking. 
Um, and now we have multiple groups who are dedicated entirely to serving classrooms. And then those groups will talk to, um, uh, will survey teachers based on sort of the need. So, so there's lots of ways to split it up. Um, you can split up on like free and reduced lunch, which is, of course is like a proxy for socioeconomic status. You can divvy it up by geography, both within the United States and outside of the United States, divvy it up by grade and subject. Um, have they used Khan Academy? Have they not used Khan Academy? Do they actively use Khan Academy? Do they not actively use Khan Academy? And then we have like various ways to reach out to those folks. Um, we have a small um, sort of uh, ambassador group um, that uh, is really, really valuable for sort of having long conversations um, from people who are invested deeply in Khan Academy um, all the way to like marketing, uh, kind of cold calling, hey, we'll give you some money if you get in the phone with us and talk about your teaching practice. Do you have anything in mind when you think about like reaching out to teachers like, or, 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 or surveying that space? No, I guess that was just kind of a general interest, kind of going back to my friend Vina who interned there. Her senior project in education was kind of figuring out, uh, what was it called? I'm actually, I'm gonna look up the specific name because it had a cool. good name. <laughs> User Research in Online Education Challenges to Understanding Student Needs in a Global Classroom. Wow. And so listening to her presentation kind of opened my eyes to the like the gap she was talking about in some companies where they you have like Silicon Valley engineers trying to judge what global teachers need. So I guess right. I'm just curious on that aspect. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, where there's the whole global question, which I only like mentioned briefly, but at Khan Academy, we, I would say we're still growing. Like we, it's, it's really hard. I think, I think in education in general, focus is just so hard to come by. And it's like, you need to constantly remind yourself to focus. Um, uh, and so when it comes to international, uh, you know, we've, at times we've taken the approach of like, oh, we're, we're U.S. first, right? Because we re that's our priority market. And then we, we have theories to reach other markets. Um, I think we're growing a little bit to sort of think global first. Um, but then even when you talk about global first, well, what does that mean? Because the needs of a classroom in rural Mongolia do not look like the needs of the classroom in somewhere in Sweden, let's say. Um, I, I guess I, I don't know what Khan Academy, if we even have at Khan Academy, like a general thesis. I, I would say like as Nick, like my approach has generally been to plead ignorance and then to uh, lean on other people to inform me or to go see it for myself. And so like uh, one group I worked really closely with last year uh, was the team who's managing our relationships in Brazil. Um, and I was able to get on the phone with people and read the reports. I didn't actually go, but... Um, I have like a pretty deep, deep-ish, I would say deep surface level sense of the needs there. And like one of the things that struck me, that struck me most is like, um, I, I guess a couple of things. One is like teachers have multiple jobs. Uh, and so when, when you think about like what is a good teacher in, in some of these communities, a good teacher is a, a teacher who shows up to work maybe three out of five days a week. Oh, so like, you know, that's, that's, you know, when we talk about how are you being evaluated, like you're being evaluated based on did you show up? Uh, I'm not speaking, of course, of all of Brazil, but they're, they're, you know, pr this particular market that we're working with. So that was kind of eye-opening. Um, and then, you know, when you look about like, well, 
then how are these teachers using Khan Academy? Some of these teachers are really excited about sort of a set it and forget it model, right? Where they can, they can really just basically say, go do Khan Academy and I'll check in on you in a month. Um, and their motivation there is simply, it's, it's teachers don't have time on steroids. Like in Brazil, teachers really don't have time. Um, and so what's interesting there is some of the some of the things that appeal to those teachers are the same things that appeal to sort of the most um, progressive teachers in the United States who are thinking a lot about project-based learning or student agency, right? Where it's like, oh, like I, I, I want you to be in charge of your learning um, and let me know if you have any questions. I'm here for you, but like I actually want you to chart your own course. Uh, oh, that's so interesting because it's like totally different goals for why they're doing that. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that the technologist might at this moment be like, "Ooh, goody, I can I can knock out multiple birds with one stone. Um, But uh, my personal like spidey senses are to be wary of that. And just because like the phenotype product might be the same, like doesn't mean you're going to have the right experience there. Um, And, and, you know, an obvious way to point that out is just access. Right. So uh, in Brazil, like. Uh, you've got a design for mobile web. You have to think about data usage. You have to think about offline usage. Um, frequently, the internet cuts out there. Um, so, you know, like you don't, you don't. Nothing comes for free, essentially. Did you say you had to go soon, or still have like four minutes? Yeah, I think we. I think we have four minutes. I. Um, I. I've got. I'm so curious about what you're excited about, um, and so maybe maybe we can. We can we can close with with like what what's top of mind for you? Where do you set out? How can I help um, you on your journey? Hmm. Wow, what a loaded question! <laughs> um, I guess hmm. I locally excited about in the near future. I think is starting my internship next week and hoping that goes well and that I get to make some sort of feature or work on some sort of feature that actually impacts students. Because that's, I think, one thing, yeah. kind of a downside of being so focused towards my goals is that, like, I didn't realize at first that you can, like, you can work in an ed tech company and still be working on, like, database migration sure. or yeah. security for students, which is really, really important but not what I'm interested in. So I'm hoping, I guess, that the project ends up good because I don't know what that will be yet. Um, oh, one thing I'm curious about, I guess, is... on. The, so you're on the long-term research team at Khan Academy, yes? Uh, kind of. Um, this is, like, uh, in the weeds, but the long-term research group has sort of... Uh, morphed into what we call early product development at Khan Academy. Um, And so it's combining that forward-looking, open-ended question, research-based, inquiry-based kind of spirit of the long-term research group with uh, a new mission to actually um, drive those insights toward like shippable product. Um, And so uh, instead of our output maybe looking like a published paper or a report, um, it looks like that plus uh, sort of an implementation plan for the organization about how we might actually build the thing. Yeah, because I guess currently you've got this really tantalizing blurb on the bottom that's like, see an opportunity for collaboration, contact us. <laughs> I'm wondering if you guys have had any collaborations with outside people in the past. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, 
uh, as an organization or as early product development? Uh, early product development. Because as an organization, we definitely have, I don't know what the state of those is, but there have been a bunch of great researchers and some of ha- some of them are at Stanford who have come by and like presented what they've learned where like, they're like, hey, can we get your, like all they want is just our data. Right. Um, and in, in certain contexts, I know we have um, worked with groups to, to do that. Um, on, on early product dev, so, so I wasn't part of the long-term research group. I, I kind of came from the shipping side of, of things. And so, you know, you'd have to ask Andy kind of if, or I can ask Andy, but uh, if we've had like really great collaborations in the past, um, I would say that there's definitely an appetite for it. I mean, so we have a really, we have a, the strongest appetite is to grow our team um, full time. Um, but I, I, I have like a really strong appetite to uh, start collaborating. I mean, I think CZI is doing great stuff. Summit's doing great stuff. Uh, but there, there are a bunch of organizations who are doing really interesting work. And for education in general, not just in ed tech, but educators in general, to start um, sharing insights in um, ways that feel cumulative or, or feel like we're, we're growing towards something. I mean, I'm just shocked at how many ed tech startups are like building their own things from scratch. It doesn't seem good. It doesn't seem desirable. If you think about education in general, there's OE, there, OER. Uh, uh, is, that the, is that the acronym? Um, sorry, like the open resources. Is it OER? Um, oh, sorry. Were you? I thought you were talking to someone off. No, no, no. I'm, I'm wondering out yeah. loud. I'm wondering out loud. Like, uh, I can't remember. But anyway, there, there's a movement, sort of government endorsed, of, of uh, like open sourcing all of your educational materials. Um, yeah, so, I just looked it up. It's OER, Open Educational Resources. Open Educational Resources. Thank you. Um, so, like, the desire is there, but I don't think the actual, like, delivery mechanism is there yet, and I'm super interested in that. Um, so... Amazon was doing something? Who was? Like Amazon was... Yeah, yep, Amazon has that marketplace that's in beta, uh, Amazon Insights. Yeah, yeah, Amazon Inspire. Oh, sorry, Inspire. Thank you. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, like, it doesn't seem to have really taken off. In the meantime, they bought 10 marks, which, which shut down. Uh, and maybe maybe it just seems bad on the surface. And in fact, 10 marks is now beautifully folded into a secret product that will release. But like, but I mean, just something as like as nice as like meetups and, and sort of sharing of resources. I mean, on, on our group, our work is open sourced. Um, but I, I think the cultural thing is, is even more important than the actual like creative commons license i mean like more how do we have this spirit of like let's not reinvent the wheel let's find out what's working elsewhere let's build on each other's work like citing each other being a positive thing rather than yeah yeah um i don't know do you do you have an angle on that it's i don't have like a well-formed belief i just have like a a general uneasiness that we're not doing it right yes Hmm. i guess i didn't know i wasn't because I'm kind of reading on the surf. I'm not on the inside of anything, so I'm just reading whatever people put out. So I'm not sure. I didn't realize there was like stuff underneath <laughs> that wasn't getting shared. But yeah. Well, when I'm, when you start working for CZI, we'll we'll come over for lunch and then uh, <laughs> and we can we can talk about now that when once you're in the inside, you'll tell me how how it's going. <laughs> yeah, that's actually one thing I really admired about Khan Academy is the engineering blog and so that's one of my secret right now but maybe i can just tell my manager i think it would be really cool for czi to have an engineering blog as well like for a summit because there's not 
like if you like want to know about how Khan Academy works, you can read all of the blog posts about this. Yeah, there's nothing for that summit right now. So yeah, that's yeah. A, that would that would be really cool. Yeah, um, I'll definitely invite you over for lunch once I have the power. <laughs> <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, Annie, thank you so much. It was so cool of you to reach out. Um, I really, I really admire that. And, um, I'm so glad we got to talk. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you. Um, cool. And best of luck in your first weeks of your internship and, and, and definitely do holler. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care.